It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, Larissa and I didn't want Halloween to pass without some sort of acknowledgement. Sadly, I've had a few back-to-back trips, so timing didn't work out for our recording schedule. Then I wanted to take some outtakes about Roswell from our cattle mutilations episode, but I just still couldn't get the time to even add to this classic. So now our Halloween special is basically drilled down from our archives of when this show was Sip and Shine podcast. I did cut out all the icebreakers and a lot of the commentary, usually initiated by me. Surprise, surprise. Hopefully you will enjoy this remix episode from last October of Tara, Spooky Sleuth on TikTok, and Three Spooked Girls. Absolutely adore her. And please stay tuned to Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast for more Larissa because I absolutely adore her as well. The case we're talking about tonight, really, I had never heard of it. I don't know if you have. I have, actually. Um, really? There, yes, there's a, there's a doc documentary show thing on Netflix called Killer Legends and they okay. actually cover this and we chatted about it on our show and we actually plotted mm-hmm. this during I think we're going to be doing it part of it on in October too on our show too but yes I'm I was so okay I feel much better it. that yeah. you didn't talk about it yet because then I'm like oh my gosh did please tell me you are quite knowledgeable of the Netflix library so no surprises here. <laughs> well, that was Jessica's fault, so you know it's okay. <laughs> All right, good. As always, this is the Unscholarly Podcast. It's really just conversation starters. So if you want to interrupt liberally, tell me about experiences, thoughts, whatever, please do. Because otherwise, it will sound like I'm just reading from a book, and I have the most annoying voice as it is. I already know. I already know. I sound like a twelve-year-old. So. But okay, so in 1974, it was Halloween night and it was rainy when Ronald O'Brien took his son and daughter out trick or treating in Deer Park near Houston, Texas. I think it actually was like a Pasadena, but it was a Deer Park suburb. I'm not really familiar with the area. Yeah. Timothy was eight years old and Elizabeth was five, and two other children joined them as they walked in the neighborhood. So after 30 to 45 minutes, due to the pouring rain, they returned home, and Ronald told their children they each could have a piece of candy before they went to bed. As you do. Right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but did your parents check your Halloween candy? Um, sort of. They kind of did. They kind of just like looked through it. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't the best about that. But I, I do as yeah. a parent, like, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did too. And my mom actually was on it. But I also mm-hmm. think that she was taking like the mellow cups and stuff that she liked too. So it was, right. had like dual purpose. <laughs> pick out the faves yeah so both children selected a large pixie stick usually colored sugar in different flavors i used to love pixie sticks oh my god yes and then i remember ripping them open with your teeth and you'd get like that wet paper yeah you just eat the paper too you're like it's fine it's fine (laughs) or or those button things on the paper that you're like eating them off the paper yeah and you still have like wax on the back it was Yep. It was not a highlight of the candy in that generation. No. <laughs> oh, so O'Brien helped him loosen the powder when Timothy had trouble getting it out of the straw. Though his son complained that the candy tasted bitter. 
So, of course, what do you do? The father gives him Kool-Aid to wash away the taste. There's more sugar. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. So, Timothy began to cry for his father within minutes. Daddy, daddy, my stomach hurts. Ronald later told police that he was in the bathroom convulsing, vomiting, and gasping, and then suddenly he went limp. So, 90 minutes after eating the candy, the 8-year-old died on the way to the hospital. So, the police investigated the pixie sticks and found it was full of cyanide by the next day. Or I'm not sure how long they knew because you had to have a pathologist, but basically they took all the pixie mm-hmm. sticks at that point. I did look at several different right. sources to try to clarify how long. I mean, this was 74. Like, how quick did you know it was cyanide? But I think it has a specific taste, doesn't it? So when the pathologist kind yeah, of tasted I, I, it. Right. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. So they could like kind of like just figure out that's what it was or at least, like even before they got the results. Bitter almonds, um, right? I knew. I think so. Yeah. It's like that almond ac- extract taste. Yeah, I think I learned that on Outlander or something like that or another show. <laughs> Pixie sticks had been opened with two inches, filled at the top with cyanide powder, and resealed with a staple. I feel like the staple should have given it away to begin with. I've never right, seen a pixie stick with a staple. No, they're just sealed. <laughs> and that staple is what saved, I think, at least in two other kids. Because mm-hmm. they couldn't get it open. So t- Timothy's stick contained enough cyanide to kill two adults. And the other four sticks had enough to kill three to four adults had been handed to the other children in the group. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. So five-year-old Elizabeth had also chosen that candy, but she'd not been able to open hers. So though, therefore, the morning after Halloween, she still had hers, which I'm pretty impressed because my five-year-old would have asked for another different candy or to have it be opened. Right, exactly. Not just be like, I'll just wait. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go to bed. It's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. So the story of the poison pixie stick made its round on the news. Parents everywhere, not only in Texas, but across the country, were scared. Parents everywhere threw out the children's candy as the authorities warned them. Which I've always heard about the razor and the candy and all that, but I had never heard of this one. That's why I was really surprised that it didn't become yeah. like more of an urban legend. Mm-hmm. So the detectives continued to pursue leads. Five other children were given them. Four was had accompanied O'Brien, and the other one had received the stick on the way home and was actually a 10-year-old boy from their church. Mm. The police asked Ronald O'Brien to assist them in figuring out what, where it had come from. And so un- O'Brien was a- unable to remember which house on the two streets they had visited, despite their Halloween, had been somewhat brief. Like, that was pretty silly. That right there was, I think, a dead giveaway. Right. So due to this, one investigator began to look at him with suspicion. And looking closer on Ronald, he found that he had taken out several life insurance policies on both his children recently. His son, Timothy, alone was insured for $30,000. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) who's... Not many people under, like, the age of 18 are worth $30,000. Yeah, exactly. And I know um, when I watched that movie it's actually they said that like the razor blade urban legend and everything stemmed from this case so it's kind of like it tied in so it's crazy that's the whole thing I remember when they changed some of it because I but by the way I just retired out of the military but when they first told us they were going to insure our children for 10,000 I was like is there a way to opt out of that because I was so weirded out that we would get money for that Or Mm -hmm. like, what would people think? Or why is my kid being insured? Because they're like, no, it's just like an automatic thing with your... (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, can you write that and have that notarized in case anything happens? (laughs) Just so I'm covered, okay, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. So Ronald O'Brien was arrested for murder on Monday, November 4th in 1974. More evidence has surfaced when O'Brien had called a friend who was a chemist two months prior to Halloween. That's not sketchy. Ronald had asked how he could get cyanide and what a lethal dosage was. His friend asked why he needed this poison, and O'Brien responded he was just curious. That's so dumb. (laughs) Oh, just wondering, you know. I know. Can you imagine if I called you up and was like, how do I not have a certain gun trajectory? I can't even say the word properly. (laughs) Like, if if I shoot somebody. That's, like, the basic of it. (laughs) Yeah. God. This man obviously... Not smart. (laughs) But good thing, though, because help them get caught. Ronald also tried to procure potassium, cyanide form, other sources such as from a chemical salesman, but he was told that he would have to buy in a five-pound bulk packaging. Ronald declined this. It was never established where he got the poison from. Did your sources say the same, like, on that show? Yeah, they weren't able to figure it out. Like, I don't... I don't think they could find the receipt or anything like that. They tried to find out where he bought it and it's just, he had probably threw it away wherever he had bought it from. And maybe he got it in a, not a great way. So the person that maybe because they Mm -hmm. saw it on news wouldn't want to come forward. Right. Exactly. Who knows? And it's the seventies. So I know nowadays (laughs) we just go on the the dark web. My son was, my son was trying to show me that you could buy like NBA league passes. And I was like, no, get out of here right now. They'll trace your IP address. I don't need, I don't need a SWAT team. Oh my God. No. And they have, um, apparently this was like a YouTube fad. They have these things where people would buy these mystery boxes from the dark web or whatever. I don't know why anybody would do that. I know. It's not oh a goodie God. bag. No. It's not like no, a grab yeah. bag. It was, oh, it was creepy. It was creepy. Um, <laughs> uh, just all bad. All bad. So the friends who had accompanied them that night had testified on the night of Halloween when they were trick-or-treating that at one point, Ronald had went up to one of the houses alone. He had stayed behind because the children got impatient when no one answered the door. The children continued on to the next house. Ronald claimed that the door was just cracked open without turning on the lights, slipped the pixie sticks out of the door. Okay, so he's, he's saying he stole them. Yeah. All right. It's so weird. I picture like a cartoon. <laughs> I don't know why, yeah. you know. It's like tiptoeing in. Yeah, I feel like Scooby-Doo, but you just see this arm coming out. <laughs> he... He said he had only seen the man's hairy arm. Courtney Melvin owned this home and was an air traffic controller. Uh, He did not come home from work until 11 p.m. that evening. His wife and daughter had been handing out candy that night and had turned off their lights from the night before he got home. Melvin's alibi was validated by almost 200 people from his job. And his description was like a man's hairy arm. Like it couldn't have been a woman's hairy arm. So they got off too. (laughs) (laughs) ronald was holding five large pixie sticks when he caught up to the group and handed them out to each child there were four children total in their party and the remaining stick he gave to a boy on their way home that he knew from the church like you said earlier so due to really sad and dark right just like by chance like oh i know you here take this yeah last poisoned one Ugh disgusting most people enjoy having trick-or-treaters come to their doors but there are a few people who will do things to hurt kids the first documented case of tainted candy happened on long island in 1964 when a housewife named helen file 
upset with older kids for trick-or-treating, handed out dog biscuits, steel wool, and poison ant buttons. Although File testified it was just a joke, she was still found guilty of endangering children. This fear really took root in the 1970s when outlets like Newsweek were reporting that several children had died from poison or tainted candy. Due to this, he was also charged with four counts of attempted murder, as he should be. The parents of the fifth child became upset when they could not locate their son's pixie stick. Well, you know, that's probably a good thing. However, when they did find it, their son was sleeping, clutching the candy. He couldn't open it because the staples had kept the straw closed. Now that's dark to me. Right? I can't picture any of my children, like, clutching with their sweaty little hands to eat him like some piece of candy i found wrappers in their bed i'm not gonna lie like, yeah and i randomly check it but i've never seen them actually holding the candy no like a teddy bear <laughs> ron was employed at the time of the crime as an optician at texas state optical he sang in the choir at the second baptist church as well as he ran the local bus program ron was was even a deacon Sorry. at his church. No, it's okay. I'm also laughing because that just BTK was also the president of his church. So it's weird, right? Like, I wonder mm-hmm. why they do that. Yeah, I just, it's just one of those weird double. I mean, this guy's not a serial killer per se, but still, still did something horrible. He so. almost could have been responsible for at least multiple murders at one time. True. And I, I think it is, though, if it's. It's like three or more, you're a serial killer. So he could yeah. have been one, technically. But yes. yeah. The only thing that hurt him was those staples. And usually that right there, <laughs> if my kid came home with a stapled pixie stick, I would have been asking questions. Exactly. All right. He had prior history of having more than 21 jobs, and he was unable to hold a job for very long. His job at Texas State Optical had been in jeopardy due to his suspicions of theft. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> His own brother testified against him that he had bad finances, um, $100,000 in debt to be exact. Ron's that was a car lot was a- in 1974. Yeah, like, I I don't know the, like, conversion, but that's obviously way more than $100,000 now. So. Yeah, definitely. Jeez. So Ron's car was about to be repossessed, and he was in default on bank loans. The family home was also in foreclosure. He's winning. He's winning at life. Yeah, he is. His, <laughs> his wife validated this as well, uh, that he was under a lot of pressure financially. She was aware that he had bought $10,000 of accidental life insurance policies for the children. However, she did not know he was also paying $108 on insurance premiums for two additional $20,000 policies, despite the insurance agency having reservations on selling the policies. Jake from State Farm at 3 in the morning. Who is this? It's Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis. Hmm, They even thought it was sketchy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She began to feel fearful. That's a a good one. Uh, (laughs) Within hours of Timothy's death, Ronald went to the insurance company to begin processing the claim. I would have been so weirded out by that. Yeah. Like, that's just, that should just be a red flag, too, I would think. So on the day of the funeral, his sister-in-law and brother-in-law said they heard him speaking of what he was going to do with the insurance policy, which was taking a long vacation and what he was going to buy. Uh, The press dubbed Ronald the man who ruined Halloween. 
Other nicknames were the Candyman and the Man Who Killed Halloween. Please don't say that three times because I'm still very scared of that. From yeah, I hate the that movie. movie. Yeah, no, I hate that movie. I watched it as a kid and I'm like, that is one I will never watch again. No. Okay, good. Because I was like, she might not even know the movie that you're, but I'm like, please just don't say it again. Nope, nope, we're good. <laughs> he was declared guilty of murder on June 3rd, 1975, after 45 minutes of jury deliberation. So, real quick, those quick and easy with that. Um, his sentence to die in the electric chair. Uh, Ronald would end up dying by lethal injection on March 31st, 1984 at 1248 that morning. He was declared dead. He had been ostracized by other death row inmates. They petitioned to have an organized demonstration on his execution day. His execution had received a couple of stays Judge Michael McSpadden at one point had scheduled his execution on Halloween itself on October 31st of 1982 and offered to personally drive Ronald to the death chamber. <laughs> I don't know why that's <laughs> funny, but it's, it's like just funny, that. but it's like you kind of feel like it's messed up to laugh at. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. But that guy was like, I'm going to. I am going to set your execution date to be the anniversary, you fucker. Like, you you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, Excuse exactly. my language, but he was just like, <laughs> I'm going to, like, stick it to you. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, or whatever word you would like to use there, the Supreme Court decided to delay the date again, so that March date was his fourth and final date set. All throughout this time, he maintained his innocence uh, a quote is, because I have no guilt, I really got nothing to worry about. Ronald was interviewed and quoted as saying, um, in, and I know I keep bringing up that doc, but if it's still oh, on there, God. definitely watch, watch it. it but now, yeah, and they, and they show like some of his interview and stuff. And it's just like, oh, it's just creepy. And it's just, oh my God, no. Did he have like, dead eyes? Dude. I just was watching something tonight and yeah. she described him as having intense dead eyes. And so I'm like watching the interview and I'm trying to find the dead eyes. I'm like, what are dead eyes? <laughs> like, Can you please clarify that a little bit more? <laughs> yeah, he was just, just very, I mean, like most murderers, you know, just doesn't really care. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But it was said that over two to 300 people gathered outside the Huntsville, Texas prison and stood eating pixie sticks or shouting trick-or-treat, or throwing candy during all of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you told me about that documentary, because now I want to find yeah. it. Or if we're in, if I have to get that cheat code or whatever for Netflix to <laughs> unlock it or jailbreak it. So yeah, it's interesting because it has that, and then it's like, um, it's got a couple other ones it has that are like, it'll take the, um, like an urban legend and then tie it to a true crime case. So mm. it's cool that it plays both sides. So I it's like interesting. That. Reels mm -hmm. channel, which is ID channel meets E channel, they do mm -hmm. ones where they take the scary movie and they'll tell you the true crime case behind it. Ooh, yeah, there's a couple seasons out there. Yeah, I love Reels channel. It gets oh, me like my celebrity cool. stuff on top of true crime, and it gives you all the famous oh. people's autopsies and what they were doing before they died. I know it's kind of dark, but I've learned. No, that's interesting, yeah, so though. I've learned a no. lot about all these celebrities who have died. That is interesting. What upcoming episodes do you have coming up on your podcast? Um, well, for a spooky month, uh, like I said, we're going to be chatting about this case, 
Um, I think we're going to do some kind of classics, like maybe some vampires, things like that. Our episodes that are on Thursdays, they are just, they're minis. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of without the banter. They're just like straight to a case, either Jessica or I do. And we're, I think that month we're going to kind of try to keep it Halloween themed as much as possible. So that'll be fun. So yeah, just kind of spooky and Halloween as much as possible the whole month of October and into November. We got some good stuff too, but I have to keep it a secret. She said she'd (laughs) kill me if I told anybody. (laughs) So how can people find the show on social media? And please tell me a little bit more of how they can find you for your editing and production because you'd be surprised how many people want to start a podcast. Yeah. So for our show, our handle on Instagram and Twitter is just at three spooked girls and that's just the number three. Um, And then Facebook, we have a fun group that you can come hang out in if that's your thing. That's three spooked girls official. Um, We have a like page too, but like pages are kind of you know, they don't really get much. The algorithm's weird. Um, and then for my editing, it actually kind of, my name of my business kind of branched off there. So it's called Spooked Girl Productions. And I use Instagram the most for that. So the handle's just Spooked Girl Productions. You can find it that way. Or it's spookedgirlproductions.com. Or you can come find me on Facebook or message us through the podcast one and I hop on there I'm happy to link up with whoever needs whatever kind of podcast stuff more than happy to help even if it's just they need some kind of I hate the word coaching but it's like they need essentially they need someone to like teach them how to set their podcast up and get going and they're they want to go ahead and just do that themselves and I do offer that too as well I was really happy when I saw that you had started that. I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. So I'm glad glad we reconnected. I have not a cute, I don't have any good outros. I don't have anything like stay weird or stay safe or stay spooky. I have like nothing. So we'll just end really awkwardly right now. Sounds good. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I'll just say, make sure you check your Halloween candy. That's all I got right there. Yep, for there this. we go. Sounds good. <laughs> it was kind of a cold and kind of a misty. Um, damp night. It was 40 years ago tonight, a Halloween that changed everything. Since it had been raining, uh, Mr. O'Brien had a raincoat on. And unbeknownst to his friends who he was with, he had the pixie sticks shoved up the sleeve of his raincoat. Ronald O'Brien gave pixie sticks to five children, including two of his own. His eight-year-old son, Timothy, asked for one first. He said the boy responded after he ate some of it that it was very bitter and it didn't taste right. An hour later, Timothy was dead. The pixie sticks were found to be filled with cyanide. O'Brien claimed to be shocked. He gave a eulogy in church that Sunday night that had the whole congregation crying. Parents across the country vowed to never celebrate Halloween again. This home where O'Brien claimed to get the pixie sticks was shrouded in suspicion. Someone took it upon themselves to to take the trust and the fun away from a lot of parents and a lot of children. Then police learned O'Brien had just taken out life insurance policies for his children. I found an adding machine tape, okay? It had all his bills written out next to the numbers. On a machine tape, he had added them all up, and it came to almost the exact amount 
of what he stood to collect. A jury took less than an hour to convict O'Brien, an hour and five minutes to sentence him to death. He was just very cold and calculating, okay? And he saw a means to an end to get out of debt. And it's as simple as that. Halloween's okay. never going to be the same. Right? Never will be the same. Not like it was before this happened. And O'Brien claimed that he was innocent until he was killed by lethal injection. Reporting live in Pasadena, Pucha Lodia 13, Eyewitness News. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.